Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show for free, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Sheer Clarity. This is your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Delighted to be with you this week on another episode of Sheer Clarity. I think what we're going to do today is going to do something which is kind of a combo. I want to sort of continue to close up the loop from the last episode on the issues clearing model. And I want to extend that into the vulnerability piece a little bit more than we had in the prior episodes. I'll probably touch a little bit on my own personal experience with it. But I believe the content, I've been thinking about it all week, and I think it's going to work out great, and we're just going to let it rip. But before I do that, I want to introduce our producer. His name is Matthew Passy. Matthew, when were you most vulnerable in the last week? Oh, God. You always throw me on the spot. I was not ready for that question. That's ah, all right. You don't really have to answer. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I feel that sometimes client emails come in or calls come in, and not to say that I'm not prepared, but I try and offer a high-quality white glove service, and sometimes that bites me because somebody says, I need this, and you say, I, 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 I want to help, but I can't. Ugh. And I feel very vulnerable and I feel very almost weak in those moments because I feel like I'm failing people. Yeah. Well, you may have that age old problem where we always tell people, make sure you under promise and over deliver. And uh, occasionally it comes out backwards. We we over promise and under deliver is like, there's no way. I've run into the same thing a couple of times myself because I like to help people a lot of times I'll have a coaching assignment that lasts a couple of years. And, you know, we finally, the client is ready to kind of move on and maybe shorten up the schedule or stop entirely. And of course, after a couple of years, you really get to know someone and love them and care about them. And you want to know how they're doing all the time. And some of these folks are actually very good friends of mine now. But I've had one or two times when I said, if I can never help you, give me a call. And they take me up on it. And I'm glad to do it, happy to do it, and I'll do it as long as I'm walking around on the planet. But once or twice, it got uncomfortable because somebody went into a very bad period. We were officially off our coaching contract, and it's a fine line, right, between being there and helping, and part of it is your heart's engaged, then part of it is, you know, I got to watch my time, and when is the right time to say, hey, maybe we need to re-engage our coaching? And it's a judgment call. It's a judgment call. But it's always worked out to my advantage, to my benefit, just to be there for people, to help people. So I never want to put a limit on it. In the end, maybe every once in a while it gets a little sticky and you have to do a little extra stuff. But in the big picture, it all comes back to you. You're paying good stuff forward and I encourage everybody to do that. I've got clients who've come back on 
to the payroll like two, three, four, five years later because it was just time, right? They needed a reboot and a reset and we're fine for a couple of years. Now they're back in it. So it varies from person to person, but I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing your moments of vulnerability getting overextended. Let's use that as the jump off point. When we talked about issues clearing last week, we went over the model. It was very formal. It was laying out in great detail how this model works. I want anybody who's listening who tried the model in the last week or so, maybe you ought to send us a couple of emails or a few notes, go on the website, tell us you know, if you had some stories about attempting it and how it went, because I'd really like to know. That's Kevin at SheerClarity.com. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, send me an email and let me know how you're doing with that stuff. But what happened as we ended that, and I thought about it, I don't know if I adequately covered this idea of the risks. There's a lot of risk in her and in doing that. Because keep in mind, the model is only something you use after everything else has failed. And there are a couple of assumptions before you use a very formal model to vent, if you will. One is, this is a person you care about. The relationship you have is important. It's broken down. It's not working. There's a break in the communication. And because of its nature, maybe it's highly charged emotionally. Every time we try to talk about it, we break down. In uh, marriage counseling, a lot of times I've heard the term negative bonding patterns. It happens in marriages. I want to try to remember the name of the guy who wrote Loving What Is, Harville Hendricks, He's kind of the author of a therapy called Imago. And in the Imago, we're attracted to people that have some relational positivity to one or both of our parents and also some relational negativity. In shorthand, what it means is there's stuff I may pick up in my partner that I really enjoy that is reflective of something good about the relationship with one or both of my parents. But there's also something that was negative that I'm going to resolve. I'm going to resolve it in this current relationship. So if as a child, you may have an overbearing father, by the time you're an adult, you're going to make darn sure no one is overbearing again. And then you marry somebody who reminds you of your father. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez, really? (laughs) I'm not saying that I have any firsthand experience with that. I hope my wife is listening, (laughs) but it's pretty powerful. Anyway, the issues clearing model only gets pulled out when you can't get through it. But what I don't know if I commented on was, what if it doesn't work? Like, what if it fails? And I have to tell the listeners, there is a chance for that. I have been in settings. I've done this in executive settings where I've had six or seven people in the room and they are introduced to this idea. Now we've been training them all day about vulnerability and openness and honesty and trust. And finally, we want to get to the nut. And if I look around the room and I say, are you guys all clean with each other? Have all your issues cleared? Or is anybody holding any resentments or issues? And well, guess what? Sometimes it's true. They're still issues. And then I say, well, let's try talking about them normally. And if that doesn't work, let's try the model. At the minimum, we're going to practice. Off goes the model and everybody will remember it's all very rigid. I have to tell you facts, feelings, judgments, wants, and my part in the story. And you have to be very still and repeat everything back to me verbatim. And then we got to flip. And even if you're getting emotional or you don't agree with what they've said, you still have to stay in it and stay through it to the end. But I have done it where 
it's gone bad. And what has gone bad looks like? In the middle of it, somebody's triggered and they hear something. Somebody says, hey, my facts are blank, blank, blank. And when the model says, all you're going to do is repeat it, they burst out with, that's BS. And I'm not going to say that. And all of a sudden, I've had the worst case scenario, and this is just big, where the executive just got up, almost kicked the chair over and left the room. And it was like, whoa. And of course, everybody looks to you like the facilitator. And I'm going to tell you, we're talking about vulnerable, awkward moments. That's probably the top of my list because like, uh uh-oh, what do I do? Well, in that case, I actually asked the group, it's a good facilitator technique, put it back on them. Okay, that was interesting. Now, what do you think? And we begin to understand there's some emotional stuff that happens with that executive. This is not a new behavior. Now we know why the tension was in the room. And eventually I will go seek that person out and I'll try to be with them one-on-one and alone to help them. I've been successful at it, bringing them back. But what happens in that moment is severe awkwardness. You can feel it in the room, and it's an awkward moment. It's awkward for everyone, especially for me as a facilitator. Like, God, God, what am I going to do? So I'm saying that to my listeners so that if you do try this and this happens, you actually want to sit still with this in the moment that it's happening, and you want to check your own feelings about it. And the feeling of awkwardness in your heart rate is up. You have all of the physiological issues, adrenaline's running and all that other good stuff. You really have to be still and breathe through it and ask yourself, what's coming up for me? 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 Sometimes I'll have somebody in the room who's a rescuer. And when they watch somebody else undergoing pain and a breakdown or something happens, the rescuer is trying to rescue. Sometimes it could turn into attack on me because I'm the guy who caused the harm. So there's lots of dynamics. And I'll ask them, I said, I can feel that strong need to rescue. Tell me what's going on. As we're getting people to talk through this, what we're realizing is that we've just encountered what I would call a breakdown or a breakup. In other words, imagine two communication wires. We haven't been able to put them together. They're like magnetic poles, you know, when you try to put the two together, they push away. But we force the connection now. That's what the model does. Against all odds, the connection keeps breaking normally. Well, we're forcing it for the purpose of trying to get some throughput. And then it actually just, boom, breaks. And it's really broken. And what it will do is it'll lead me to tell the audience this. Sometimes when you need a real breakthrough in something in your own psychology or someone else that you care about needs a breakthrough in their psychology and their self-awareness, the only path to the breakthrough, the enlightenment, the understanding is going to be through a breakup or a breakdown. A breakthrough may only come by being preceded by a breakup or a breakdown. That's the only way, that is the only path to the breakthrough. Anybody who's in a relationship long enough probably understands that. Some of the worst moments for you in relationship with anybody is a breakdown. The breakdowns may happen enough, eventually there's a breakup. 
Like, okay, done. It's over. And it's only in the overness of it that it seeps into this person's psyche or to your own psyche at levels you weren't really getting to before. It took the breakup or it took the total breakdown for you to have some aha moment, some awareness. Because when you're alone with all this stuff, you got to figure your stuff out. That's what you do in the lonely moments. Now, with that said, I want my clients who understand that there are times when experientially you could, as an exercise, put yourself into a feeling of awkwardness. To get awkward, to get this vulnerability piece is so interesting and so gnarly and so hard to do because in the end, it exposes us and it makes us really, really susceptible to being hurt and looking stupid or feeling stupid. And most of the people in the business world are actually paid not to be weak, right? Not to look weak, not to sound weak. Anything that even remotely contributes to weakness looks bad. And so I always encourage clients to see if you can find some experiential opportunities to get out there and stretch and stretch yourself and get yourself acquainted with the awkward feelings that can occur when you're in your most vulnerable state. And that is how we got to the title of the episode (laughs) (laughs) because that's what I did when shortly after my first wife passed away, I was in the morning grieving kind of stage I've gone to plenty of therapists. I love psychology generally. I do it for myself. And I've seen lots of models and lots of approaches. But I signed up for a men's weekend at some kind of, eh, what's called new age, old age, ancient ritual. It was a men's leadership orientation. And what it involved was going to a very rustic camp setting with about 15, 16 other guys. And then there were facilitators, at least in a like four to one ratio. For the 15 or 16 of us, we must have had at least four or five people who were there to facilitate. It was an out of my comfort zone experience. Because first of all, when I go to retreats, I like to go to a nice hotel where I get a great steak and sleep in a really great bed. Sleeping in a tent on the ground, (laughs) with no running water. I'll let your imagination run wild. I was already out of my physical comfort zone. And then I had to get into all of the other comfort zone issues, which involved an enormous amount of ritual and symbolism that included, for example, everybody getting into the back to this gate in the middle of the mountains that it's going to go down into the valley. They can't have too many cars in there. So everybody's piling on that one big old truck and down this truck goes, and then the truck stops and overlooks some vista into the Rocky Mountains, and then the facilitator tells everyone it's time to become silent. We're going to enter the sacred ground where many men have gone before. You know, it's a lot of the Native American kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there, and i got to be honest with you, I'm going, okay, it's a little bit hokey, a little bit hokey. The next thing I know, the truck is heading down this dusty road and everybody's quiet. And I could feel my discomfort. It's already emerging because this is out of my comfort zone. Then I hear the drums. 
and it's just a drum beating off in the distance. And we file off the truck, walk down a path, all in silence. We're going through these gates that are made out of wooden lodge poles with eel feathers and colors. And we end up at this ground, you know, this ceremonial ground with two elders who are doing sage smudging. And I'm like, oh man, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'll get to the point of the many things that were happening there. I was slowly, slowly, slowly trying to let go of what? What was I letting go of? I was letting go of inhibition. I was letting go of these strictures of how I'm supposed to perform, how I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in this moment myself, one with nature, one with the ground, one with the earth. And I'm around men who do this for a living, and they're already way ahead of the curve. They've done tons of work, shadow work. I worked with a guy named Robert Bly. It's just men's work. And I'm coming from Mr. Corporate, the corporate world. It was unsettling to me. And the highest point that was unsettling was a foot washing ceremony. And that's when I hit the wall because I couldn't do it. We were just paired up. We were put in this exercise. Everybody had bins and water jugs and you were washing. And I'm like, okay, no, I'm not. That guy's disgusting. That's feet stink. I'm not. No, I'm. And then as the facilitator is explaining, this is about humility. This is about servanthood. And I actually heard the term servant leader from my business world. A guy from AT&T coined that term about being in service. And I speak of it when we're doing our work. We've spoken it in other podcasts, right? Caring and loving your people. How do you get there? And how do you handle this kind of openness and vulnerability? Well, one way is to push yourself into the most awkward expressions of it. And there I was in the middle of this awkward expression. And the awkwardness of that, that feeling of, oh, this is bad. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. Is it almost exactly the feeling that I've had when I've been in facilitating in the real world and something's popped up and it's gone bad. And I'm like, what am I doing now? How am I handling this? And in the case at hand, I actually passed. That was an option. And everybody was kind about it and understood it. A few weeks after I went home from this, I was really disappointed in myself. And I made a commitment to go back the following year, which I did. And I participated in that foot washing ceremony. What it did is it just reminded me of what we need to do to push ourselves into facing our discomforts. Discomforts with convention, discomfort with expected. And I can tell you if there was ever a place where the convention is not to be vulnerable, it's in business. It is antithetical to everything business. Now, I'll tell you, if you watch Brene Brown out there, who's sort of the leader of the charge on vulnerability, she'll tell you point blank, number one thing that consumes her time is people requesting her to come speak. And they want her to come speak, and they almost tell her live, and she says this on many of her talks and podcasts and videos. She goes, I always get invited to speak, and the first thing they tell me is what they don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about vulnerability. They don't want to talk about shame. They don't want to talk about awkwardness. 
that I want to talk about exposure. We want to talk about creativity. We want to talk about innovation. We want to talk about change management. And she just tells them, well, if that's what you want to do, then you have to talk about vulnerability because innovation requires a ton of failure. You must be prepared to fail. And there is nothing more exposing and vulnerable than taking swings at the bat. One, two, three, you're out. And you have to walk back with your head down to the dugout. How about going back and doing that 30, 40 times? And in the business world, you have everybody looking at you. In the business world, you have millions of dollars, could be tens of millions of dollars. Fail after fail after fail. There's a great story about Edison and the light bulb and failing 30 times before he got it. In the tech world, I've heard the term fail fast. Coming up with a new design. We'll do it as quick as you can and fail a thousand times so we can get to the answer. And she also said in terms of creativity, you have to be prepared to put out a dumb idea. It's crazy. Stupid. That makes no <laughs> sense. Now, who the heck's going to walk into that and go, yeah, I can't wait to be called stupid and fail. Well, that's what vulnerability is and the awkwardness that comes with it. Now, I want to translate that back to the issues clearing and the beating of drums and loincloths. However you do it, however you do it, you must take risks. And one of the great risks for anybody who wants to grow in their capacities as a human has got to face their fear of vulnerability and know what it means to feel awkward and how to manage awkward. It's uncomfortable and it's difficult. And my first rule is stay in the I mode and speak only what's happening to you in the moment and everything will take care of itself. When you're sitting confused, you got to say, I'm confused. When you're sitting there, you're just like angry and your leg is trembling, you can say, I feel this incredible anger and my leg is trembling. I don't know what this is. The last thing you want to do is point any of that at another human. Because once you pull somebody into your pity party, once you pull them in and project your anger, once you pull them in and blame them, it's over. Your opportunity to grow out of this has just come to a screeching halt. So discomfort, awkwardness, all of the elements of vulnerability. In my case, I just put myself into a place where washing feet in a canyon and dancing at the moon and beating to the drums. And by the time I went the second time, I had cast off all the inhibition and let it go. And it was liberating. It was totally liberating. And it prepared me in many, many ways for going back to the business world. I could walk down into the middle of Manhattan, sit at uh, one of these 800-foot-long conference tables of glass and granite and chrome with a 1,000 MBAs and investment bankers sitting around there. And I go, oh, you know what? They're just humans. They're not intimidating me. They're just humans. They're all dressed for battle. We dress up and go into battle in that business world, and we wear all the armor we need. I think I got to stop there. I hope I made a connection between this vulnerability risk-taking and the ways in which you and my listeners can stretch yourself out by just signing up for awkward. I think you did. And I think you made a solid connection, especially there at the end and talking about how engaging in these kinds of experiential concepts, these the loincloths and the, the drums, as, as we so delicately call this episode, while people perceive it as being a weakness and as being something that 
strips you of potential power. In your case, as you said, and what's probably the case for many people is it gives you power because it takes away the falsehoods and the symbolism and the things that we build up, the perception of power that's not necessarily true and that doesn't exist and then puts you back on an even playing field. Or if the other person hasn't experienced this, it probably gives you the upper hand. That's right. That's right. One of the things that you just reminded me, I have a client who had a scare with cancer and he went into it, battled it, got into remission and came back to work. I could have coached him for the next hundred years and I never would have accomplished what happened with his battle scare with cancer. It flipped his entire order of priorities and reset his values just like that. And I don't want anybody to have to have a cancer scare to get their act together. So let's do it under more controlled circumstances and let's go ahead and force some awkward opportunities to get naked, to get open, to get vulnerable. But you don't want to have to have something real life threatening to do it. I'll stop there. And of course, this leads, as we discuss power, this leads to what is coming up will be a two, probably three part series on power. And so if you're interested in power, what it is, when it works for you, what it looks like when you are misusing it, well, then obviously you're going to want to stay with us here on Sheer Clarity. So thank you for joining us on this particular episode of Sheer Clarity. If you have feedback or comments, as you know, Kevin mentioned earlier, you know, we want to see if you've been doing anything with the issues clearing, please, we invite you to leave us comments at SheerClarity.com. Email us directly, Kevin at SheerClarity.com. And in general, if you head over to the website, you will find a host of valuable resources, including some of the books that Kevin mentioned in the show today, as well as other great notes and links and all sorts of great stuff that will help you gain sheer clarity as you become the consummate leader by attraction. Again, all those resources, how to subscribe, how to connect, everything you'd want to do is at SheerClarity.com. I'm Matthew Passy. He's Jay Kevin McHugh, and we will see you next week on Sheer Clarity.